Hey everybody, I've been a little absent lately and I apologize for that. I've had a ton of stuff going on, which is not a good excuse. Uh, I'm learning to be a school bus driver, so today I was behind the wheel of a school bus. Uh, so every morning lately I've been working uh, towards that so that I can drive for our local school district. And then um, also we've got school board uh, elections coming up. And so I've been, I actually did some online interviews of some of our candidates. Uh, so I've had a lot going on, so I apologize, but I have a conversation about friendship that I want to share with you today. And this is a conversation I recorded with a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Josh Tice, and he's a pastor in Las Vegas. And uh, he wrote a book on friendship. And so I'll link to all that as well. Make sure you have access to that. Uh, but I, I was kind of waiting to get back in the studio and record this intro and just felt like it was better for me to just go ahead and do it. And so I'm using my phone, just getting an intro together so that we can get it out there because I want you to hear this conversation. He talks about, uh, he's an expert on the topic of friendship and we talk about that in this conversation together. Friendships for adults as well as as a parent, helping your children and your young people have friendships as well. Uh, so hopefully an, an, an encouraging and helpful conversation Conversation. We live in a digital age where we think we have a lot of friends, but what is true, authentic friendship? And so we look at that from a biblical perspective uh, in this conversation. So I hope it's a help to you. With this idea of friendships, your uh, a writer who's, you know, you've, you've written about this, you've spoken about this, this is a topic you've talked about a lot, I know, on your blog, and that kind of became an, an issue with friendships. What do you feel like today in the 21st century that friendships are uniquely different in any way from the past? And what does that look like? Yeah, I, I think we live in a hyper virtual world, lacking true friendships, lacking deep community. I think this is a, a big problem. Um, and I think it's led to a lot of fruit problems, and that is depression, anxiety, loneliness. I mean, what we've experienced even through COVID, um, coming through COVID, you're, you're looking around and you're realizing, look at these teens. A lot of these teens and a lot of the big cities are, are left at home for not days at a time, weeks at a time, weeks at a time. They're seeing nobody. They're told to get on their computer, log on. Um, and, uh, and they'll see a couple of people. Well, how easy is it to drift away? How easy is it to not pay attention? And there is no true connectivity in that way. We think we have 350 friends because we have right. 350 Facebook friends. They're not friends. They're not friends because we only show them what we want them to see. I really am concerned for 25 and below because Instagram gives you this illusion of connectivity um, and this illusion that everybody else's world is so good and look at how my world is not that great and so in this virtual world i think that our our connectivity i think everybody would agree that our connectivity is uh, is is not there our community is not there our friendships at the level of our friendships when we were younger or previous generations are just not there and so then we see depression anxiety anxiety and loneliness so i think it's a major issue so talk to me then before we go much further with that, because I, I, that's interesting to me. But what is because I want to dive into this idea of social media and whatnot. But before we do that, what is friendship? Like, what is a healthy friendship? Let's define what a healthy friendship is so we can discuss it from the same vantage point. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, for me, it came from years of pastoring. I pastor in Las Vegas, Matt, you know that. And for years of pastoring, I started posing a question to a lot of the men that I pastor. 
and specifically men concern me at their lack of ability to genuinely connect at a, at a, at a real level. And I would look at them and I'd say questions in the middle of counseling, things like, so who have you talked to about this? You know, random. And they'd be like, I haven't talked to anybody about this. I say, well, you're only talking to me about this issue. Like I'm your pastor. I'm glad you are, but like, you haven't talked to like, have you talked to your wife about it? No, I haven't talked to her about it. What about your friends? And I've been shocked how many times in the last 10 years when I say, what about your friends? There's a pause. Yeah. And then they'll breathe and they'll say, uh, yeah, I don't really talk to him about that. And so I began to rephrase the question afterward. And I began to look at men in the eyes and I began to ask this question, who do you have in your life that you can be genuinely authentic with? Who can you talk to? Who do you go to whenever you have a big win? Who do you go to when you have a big loss? Who do you go to when you're feeling excited to tell them something that happened to you? Who, who do you go to that you tell them, man, I'm really messed up and I, I screwed up or, or I really hurt myself or I, man, I did something stupid or I'm really discouraged, right? Like, who do you have like that? And I cannot tell you the percentage, but I'm, if I'm going to guess it, it's nine out of 10 men would look at me and say, I really don't, honestly, yeah. Pastor, I really don't have anybody like that. Which shocked me because um, I am a rich man. Like I really, truly am wealthy um, in this area of friends. If friends are wealth, um, and if a if a, a, a what what is what does the movie say? You know, if a man has friends, he's not uh, he he has he has great wealth or whatever. Whatever yeah. we learn from Jimmy Stewart's Wonderful Life, I, I really am. I'm a very wealthy man. I've got lots of genuine friends. So being like Scrooge McDuck with my wealth of being able to dive inside of my piles of gold and swim around of my friendships, it, it baffles my mind that there are people that have nothing in that vault mm-hmm. or very little. So I began to, or do you think really that even deceive to- sometimes thinking they have friends, but they're not really true yes. friendships? Yeah. Yes, man. A hundred percent. So I began to really research this. I began to read several books blogs on the subject, begin to listen and just look out for this concept, biblically speaking, as well as in the secular um, psychological realm, um, and just begin to research it and come to the realization that this really has been a problem throughout human history. And I believe an increasing problem, as we said, in the digital world, where, uh, where, where folks like Zuckerberg want us to go into now a metaverse permanently, just live there alone, you'll be fine. And just uh, give us all your data. It, these things concern me. Um, because I, I believe that relationships and friendships have been meant by our creator to develop a, a life that we do not live alone. I believe that we were not meant to live life in solitude. That is not simply an optimistic perspective of a extrovert. I believe that both extroverts and introverts need deep relationships in order to properly process the life that God has given them. And I'm not sure that we have them the way we're supposed to. Well, and that was one thing that came to my mind when you were talking is how much does personality play into it? Because you, you know, we're, we're, we're friends mostly on social media. We've connected a couple of times and I, I consider you a friend, but um, from what I can tell of you, you're an extrovert. I, by nature, am more of an introvert. Like I, I would rather get up and speak to a thousand people than walk into a room at a party and introduce myself to a hundred people. It, I just, it, it's harder for me. I would even say that to some degree, I'm. This may sound terrible. Maybe I'm putting myself out there too much. But like, I'm almost happier sometimes. I'm I'm okay being alone. I can put me in a cabin in the woods, and I, 
I could stay there a month and be be content. Is there is that because I've been convicted about this before? Is there some carnality in my own life potentially with that kind of thought process of just great question? I don't need friends. Yeah, I don't think so. First of all, is there a carnality there? No, I think um, what's beautiful about that situation that you have um, is that uh, there's a there's less of a immediate need uh, to be around people. That's what we mean, I think, when we say introverted. There is not you don't fill up by being around people. You actually right. fill up by having some alone time. Absolutely fine. That is a different aspect of what the conversation is really about. It's okay. not whether or not introverts need friends and extroverts need friends or introverts don't and extroverts do. It really is how those relationships are important in each of, each of our lives. However, what you're speaking of, introverts versus extroverts, is how development of those friendships um, are more difficult for one rather than the other. So I'll give you an example. Sure. Introverts in my study, I write about this, I think, in chapters 9 or 10. Introverts have a difficult time developing initial relationships that can blossom into deep friendships. Extroverts have a difficult time allowing any of their many relationships to actually go into a deep friendship. Mm -hmm. So an extrovert's difficulty is not that he doesn't have people in his life. He's got a hundred or she's got a hundred people in their lives, but they keep them at arm's distance. They will not be authentic. They yeah. will not be real with anybody. Nobody knows what's really going down inside, but they seem to be surrounded. This is why an extrovert can become extremely depressed and lonely in a group of 100 people. An introvert has a difficult time making those initial connections. So an introvert might go into a new scenario, a new town, a new college, and they're looking around and suddenly they just feel all alone because they are alone. It's going to take them a longer time to break into, and they're going to have to be more intentional to break into any social circle or break into any relationship. But the moment they do, they're going to go deep. An introvert doesn't have a problem going deep. Sometimes their problem is they go deeper with somebody before that other person is ready. And they're like, wow, you feel that way about me? This is why introverts sometimes scare people off with their friendships because they yep. want to go deeper sooner than other people do. It, it, it doesn't change the fact that extroverts need some deep relationships. Introverts need deep relationships, but we, um, uh, we sabotage ourselves differently. So, so it's almost the same, it's the same problem almost for both sets of people. It's this idea of going deeper. So we live in a culture, we live in a society where I, I feel like society is working against that because I've got social media. I didn't look at my, at my numbers, but I mean, I've got lots of friends on social media and connections and people that I know. And what is then a deep, meaningful, authentic relationship? Great. In chapter three of the book, I think it's chapter three, I talk about the concept of circles of friendship. The concept is not new with me. It's been <laughs> circulated, forgive the pun, for dozens of years in many different books, right? But um, I spent some time and really much of the book has been spent in this arena. What are your circles of friendship? Who are your best friends, your close friends? Who is your group? Who is your tribe? Who are your acquaintances? Who are your fans? Do you know who they are and can you identify them? Do they know who they are? I, I say it this way in the book. I, I think junior high girls have a better grasp of friendship than men in their 40s. 
Mm. Because a junior high girl can say, oh, yeah, Sally, she's my best friend. And Susie, she's not my best friend, but she's like really close. She's like my third best friend. And we look at that as immaturity. But in fact, what we have is true emotional maturity. They have properly identified who it is that they're closest to and who they're willing to share their deepest secrets with. And not only does she know it, Sally knows it. This is why Sally and, 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 and that little girl are able to get together and get real quiet. They can say things to each other that they're not going to say to the three or four other girls around them. And then those three or four other girls, they're close to them. So they share some things with them, but those close friends are different than their group of friends. They're going to say things with three or four girls in a room at a sleepover that they're not going to say with 12 girls at a big youth activity or a big youth group event. Right. So they, they have this understanding of who is close, who is kind of close, who is in my group, who's in my tribe, who are my acquaintances, and they know how to distinguish between them. Men fall all over themselves. I find women do as well. We fall all over ourselves because sometimes we'll go to somebody who's merely an acquaintance or somebody who is merely in our tribe and we'll be like, I really got to talk to you about this situation. And they, they, they start to um, vomit <laughs> emotion all over this person. And that person is not ready for that. Like, I didn't yeah. know we were in the same circle. But then we have people that are supposedly very close to us and we never come out to them and share with them what's actually going on. So I think it goes back to properly understanding who is my inner circle? Who are the one, two or three closest people I can go to and talk to anything about anything? Who's outside of that? I, I give biblical examples. I think Jesus had this. Jesus had his best friend, John. It's very clear. In fact, John refers to himself constantly as the disciple who Jesus loved. I always wondered what the other disciples thought about that, right? right? But John, and then he had Peter, James, and John. Jesus multiple times said, you guys stay here. Peter, James, John, go with me. What's Thomas thinking? Well, he knows he's, he's part of the close group, but he's not that good. And that's okay. And then Jesus had the 12, and then he had the 70, and then he had 120, and then he had the 5,000. I think there is emotional and social maturity in being able to identify who these people are and not only who they are, what will I reveal to them? So you asked, you, you began by saying, give us a proper definition of somebody who is a best friend, a close friend. And the book really postulates the question back to the reader and says, you tell me what a best friend is. What do you want them to be? And then once you know what that you want them to be, tell them, tell them, hey, Matt, I'm really wanting you to be close to me. I really want to deepen our friendship. These are the kind of things I want to share with you. Uh, these are the kind of conversations I want to have with you. Do you want to have the same relationship? And not being intimidated, so intimidated that we cannot have these honest, honest, real conversations with individuals about relationship and friendship. So in order to develop a, a healthy friendship, you're saying find some people that, are, that you get along with and literally you have to take the effort to build that relationship. It, it, yeah. it's not something that just necessarily comes naturally. I think we think that friends are just going to surround us. Right. But um, that is incredibly foolish. It's just as foolish as if we were to say to um, maybe you have a son or a daughter who's getting to 18, 19, 20 years old, they're developing a, uh, a relationship, then they get married. You would never tell that young groom, ah, just stick it out. You guys are going to become close. You yeah. would never tell that young bride, ah, just stay married. You guys are going to get really close. No, you say, okay, here's how to develop intimacy. You need to go out on dates. You need to share your emotions. You need to talk about your hopes and dreams and fears. You need to have the effort. And sometimes it takes effort, right? When it yeah. comes to um, intimacy, 
whether that be sexual or emotional intimacy, it takes energy and effort. <laughs> You're going to have to expend that energy and effort. But what does that energy and effort do? It develops true intimacy. Same thing with male to male relationships and female to female relationships. It's going to take a, a, an uh, expression of intimacy or excuse me, of energy and effort to get there. And then especially when things go badly in the relationship, boy, then you have to work on it even more. But mm -hmm. that still leads to deeper intimacy and deeper friendship. But, but why do I care? Like what, what's, mm -hmm. if that's, that's work, that's effort, that's energy expended. Um, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to get out on the boat with them on the weekends and do some water skiing or to go have dinner or something. But to go deeper than that, I need to be vulnerable and I would just rather bottle it up, right? I'm kind of playing a character. I, I, I just want to bottle it up, Josh. So I don't really want to go out of my way to develop a deep friendship. Is there anything wrong with that? Yeah. The answer to that question is yes. It's simply unhealthy. Um, it's unhealthy for your own emotional life. It's unhealthy for your spiritual life. How do we know this? Because according to what we see in scripture, mankind was not meant to be alone. The very first thing that God did when he created Adam was to say, okay, look at this. This is not working out. It is not good that man should be alone. So he made somebody that would be a help, uh, somebody that could really truly encourage him and be there for him. So he created Eve. I, I think we have correctly associated this with marriage. A hundred percent it is marriage. But we also would believe, as all Christian theologians do, most Christian theologians do, that not every man and every woman is called to marriage. Mm -hmm. So just because you're not called to marriage doesn't mean you're not called to social relationship. The basic principle that we get from Genesis 3 there is that man, or Genesis 2 there, is man is not good by themselves, that you need someone in your life. What we often do is we subjectively make a decision about how many people we need in our lives based upon our perception of what other people have, right? So you might think, I don't need as many people as that guy. Well, maybe you don't. Or I don't need to go as deep as that guy. Look at that guy's got all those people. I don't need anything. I don't need to get together with my friend as often as that guy. That's true, but that's all subjective. It doesn't change just because I might need to be with somebody every third day doesn't mean that you don't need to be with somebody every third week where right. you're sitting down with them and truly saying, hey, this is what's going on in my life. What does that breed then? It breeds vulnerability and accountability. It means there's somebody else in your life that you can be very honest, real, and genuine with, and you can have somebody look at you and call you out on your crap. We all need that in our lives. Those who don't have anybody in their life that is that type of friend can often go rogue in so many bad ways, whether that be in their private sinful life or whether that be um, like a maniacal leader that destroys people. They don't have anybody in their life that can be real and honest with them and say, you're going the wrong direction, pal. You're messing up. And so, yes, there's damage to your own soul, but then there's damage to people around you. Hey, man, I noticed you never spend time with your wife. Why aren't you spending time with your wife? Hey, man, I noticed you've got some issues with your kids. Who are you going to talk to whenever your 16-year-old um, is run away from run away and, and they're down at the city and they're, they're sleeping around and they're on drugs? Who are you going to talk to? Who are you going to talk to whenever your wife isn't sleeping with you anymore? Who are you going to talk to whenever you you find yourself addicted to something that you shouldn't be addicted to? Who are you going to share that with? Who's going to give you that counselor? Some guys think, well, I'll just pay somebody $150 an hour to give me some advice. That's great. And they will pay you to give you some counsel, but you should have a friend, somebody who actually loves you, somebody who actually cares for you.
sometimes guys like you and me, Matt, because we're pastors become this um, stand in for men. They don't yeah. have any men in their life to be able to share what's going on. So they're like, oh, I'll just pour out and dump this all on my, on my, uh, on my, um, on my pastor. And then he'll be my best friend. And so we've got, I think hundreds of thousands of men who think my pastor is my best friend. He's not your best friend. He's your pastor, but you think he's your best friend because you won't tell anybody else in your life what's really going on, except mm. for this guy who gets paid to be, to, to tell you what's going on. So now a pastor is not a pastor. He's the best friend of 70 different men. Right. And the fact is this guy's not become vulnerable to talk to somebody else. Or here's another problem. The man does have a relationship that's good with his wife. And so he expects his wife to be his best friend. Or the wife expects the husband to be the best friend. I see this all the time. So the husband is like, oh, I got my best friend, my wife. And that's why I talked to her about hunting. And, and I bought this gun. I'm really upset because I showed her this gun. And she doesn't care about this gun. Or this woman comes in and she's crying and counseling. And she's like, oh, my husband doesn't understand me. Well, what happened? I showed him my new nail polish and he just doesn't care. It's because he's a dude. He's a dude. He's not expected. My question is, isn't there other relationships in your life where you can show your new nail polish to? Who you can go shopping with? Aren't there other men in your life that you can go hunting with, that you can actually develop the depth of that relationship? And I think what happens is sometimes we who do not develop good friends, we, owe, we, um, we put too much of a heavy load upon other relationships in our life that were not designed to be those friendships. I'm not saying you're not friends with your wife, friends with your husband. What I'm saying is it could be that you're putting such a heavy load on that one person and expecting them to be everything for you when they're not meant to be your best friend. They're meant to be your spouse. Yeah. That person's not meant to be your best friend. He's meant to be your pastor. And, and the fact is it goes back down to, well, I've never taken time in my life to develop friends. And what you need is friends and you need your pastor to be your pastor, your wife to be your wife, your husband to be your husband. So you can be close to someone and still not be a good friend. Am I hearing that correctly? Like you, you hang out you do a lot of stuff. You could go hunting and fishing and, golfing or whatever it is that that one does you can go do those things and not and still not necessarily be in a good meaningful authentic i think the word you used earlier was authentic an authentic friendship yeah. is that is that I, true i guess i'll pose it back in another question what i'm not saying is that every time you go hunting you need to pass the diet coke and then cry about what happened on you know at yeah. work last week that's that's not what i'm saying Right. Nobody wants that. Very few people actually want that. So my question back to you would be this. When was the last time you had a true serious conversation with that friend? How often should it be? When was the last time part of life is laughing, but also part of life is crying? Yeah. Part of life is joy, but part of life is pain. So when with your quote unquote friends was the last time you actually shared a pain? Yeah. When was the last time you shared, uh, you, 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 you cried? When was that? Again, I'm not saying get out on the boat and you're bass fishing. If you're the dude that gets out on the boat bass fishing and every other week, you know, you're weeping about your, you know, like nobody wants to be with you. you nobody does. Yeah. yeah. But if you have somebody that you've called a friend, if you've got a group of four or five guys and you've never had an opportunity in four or five years to sit there and say, Hey, look, we're really wondering if we should adopt a child. Mm -hmm. Hey, we're really wondering if, um, you know, if, if we need to, if I, I just need to quit on this career and start something new and you're genuinely sharing emotion. I don't even say you have to tear up. What I'm saying is different men express themselves differently. 
What I am saying is when was the last time you had a real conversation with those people? Are they simply just your playmates or are they your friends? And, and I do think that if you do not have those occasional, you know, uh, what does that mean? Every two weeks, every five years, somewhere in there, the person who's listening to this needs to answer that question. And if you, if, if you decide, hey, as a friend, I just need to have that honest, authentic, real vulnerable conversation once a year, fantastic. At least you've identified what's good for you in your relationship. But at yeah. some point, those conversations should happen. So is we're talking about some principles that really work for anybody, whether you're a person of faith or not. So now let's, let me change gears just a little bit and say, okay, as a, as a person of faith, yeah. Are my, are the Bible says, you know, people that walk with wise men will be wise and companion of fools will be destroyed. So choosing friends and who to press into, I think there, I think there's some thought that needs to go into that as well. Is that, is that correct? Sure. Sure. Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, I think chemistry has a lot to do with it and values, right? So there are just certain people I don't like, <laughs> and there's certain people that just don't like me. Coming to that realization years ago is, is fantastic. Um, I'm a people pleaser by nature, so maybe some of your least listeners are that way. Some of your listeners are like, yeah, screw it. I don't care who likes me. <laughs> you know. And I'm um, more, I lean more that direction. I'm just kind of like, it doesn't matter to me yeah. what, what you think. Yeah. So there's certain people I like, certain people I don't like. Same thing with every single human being. It's okay to look around and say, yeah, I really like that person. I think we naturally fit. So you not only have chemistry on natural things you're interested in. I really like being around that person. There's also the aspect of values. I'm going the same direction. I really like the same things they like. So if you're a Christian, your, your primary concern and love is Jesus Christ. So of course, you're going to develop deeper relationships with those who are Christians. I've been a Christian long enough. I grew up as a Christian. So I've been a Christian long enough to see people who were atheists become Christian mm -hmm. and people who were Christians become atheists. Mm -hmm. um, well, to think that that's not going to affect the relationship is, is crazy. If I say the most important thing in my life is Jesus, and you used to say that, and now you're saying, I don't even believe, you know, believe in him. I don't believe in God. Well, obviously, some of the things that are most central to my relationship or my who I am are different now. We're heading different directions. Right. Um, and I, I talk about this in one of the chapters about how friendships change, right? So if one of your closest friends was at 17 years old, your best friend was 17, and I don't understand why we're not friends anymore. The reason you were friends at 17 is because you were in the football team together. Right. And he was the wide receiver, and you were the, you were the tight end, and you talked about football all the time. But that was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So your life begins to shift and you begin to head different directions. And th therefore, of course, they're not, you not only don't have the same chemistry anymore because you've changed, you've grown, he's changed, he's grown, but you also don't have the same values. You're not holding to the same direction in life. This is why there are people that are actually, you consider friends now at the age of 32 um, and maybe you're 72 and you're like, man, they're really close to me, but I knew them when we were 20. I knew them when we were 12. Why weren't we friends? Well, because now you have the same values and you have a, you've developed the chemistry that you never had before. So I think chemistry and values have a lot to do with that. So if you want to be a friend to people who are not of the same faith, maybe somebody that's not a believer, what does that kind of a friendship look like for me? I, for example, I worked in a, in a, just a secular environment um, until recently where I was in a factory 40 plus hours a week. Um, and I, I have people that I consider real friends that, um, were, they were kind about my faith, but we didn't see, didn't see eye to eye on that. How, how are there, are there warnings, uh, in your opinion about developing friendships with people that 
aren't pursuing Christ in the in the same way we are? Um, are there encourages encouragements to people like or admonitions that you would give to somebody who's who's got a, a good friendship that maybe isn't somebody that's following Christ? Uh, I guess I would, but I, I I'll give it in two parts. The first part I would say is that I would actually give a warning to Christians who have been told over and over don't have friends who are not Christians, yes. right? I've good. heard this over and over, you know, um, you had, your friends need to all be Christians. Your friends need to be people in the church. Um, and I've, I've preached at churches. I, I travel and preach sometimes. And I've preached at churches where 95% of the people in the, in the pews are only friends with mm -hmm. people in the pews. <laughs> and then you say, Hey, go out and invite somebody to church. And they're like, what are you talking about? They're all here. Right. Well, this is, <laughs> this is not, this is not the beneficial for a world evangelism. Right? right. So I think you should be developing relationships with people that are outside the church and developing relationships with people who are not people that are followers of Jesus Christ. So that's the first admonition I would give. If you're a Christian and you're like, all of my friends are Christians, that's great. The problem is you're not going to be evangelistic and you're not going to have an opportunity of seeing the world from a different point of view, which is incredibly important. That's yeah. number one. Number two, if I was going to give an admonition as it relates to development of relationships with people who are not a person of faith, if you are a person of faith or a person of a different faith, here's what I would say. It's incredibly important to understand the circles of friendship. Right. And how each and every one of those circles influence you differently and how you influence them differently. Mm. The, the inner circle for me, the people that are the truest, closest people to me, the one or two or three people in that inner circle, even that next circle, that close friends for me, six, seven, eight people in my life that are just deeply close. I'm doing life with them. It's really difficult for somebody who does not hold the most singular important value in my life to be in that inner circle. And that's the God I serve. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an, another example of this. For some people in our modern society, it's 2021 when we're recording this. It is 22. a uh, 22, excuse me. <laughs> it is a, it's a political year. Yeah. Um, politics for some people are a God, like it's their whole world. Everything there, everything is about them being a Republican or everything is about being a Democrat. You can see this in their social media. You can see this in their daily readings. Every day they don't read scripture. They read their particular published point of view. Um, they pray about it and they think about it more than they think about God or before they think about food, right? They would fast and give up water and food for their politics. Okay, I like politics, but politics are not my God. I say all that to say this. They ultimately understand that I can be friends with somebody of the other party, but not in my inner circles. Mm -hmm. They just can't. It's too important to them. Being a Republican or being a Democrat is so important that they cannot sit down at a meal without it coming up and them just losing their mind over it. I think the same thing is true depending, no matter what you worship. Right. So if you, if you worship Marvel movies, um, I don't worship Marvel movies, but I love Marvel movies. You're close <laughs> though. You're close. Oh, I love it, bro. <laughs> I love them. I love them. They're, I'm telling you, if you're in my inner circles, we're going to talk about it occasionally yep. and you're going to have to put up with it. Here's the thing. If I love, if I am a deeply abandoned in my love for Allah and a follower of the Islamic faith, if that is like who I am, it's not just like this, this spoke in my wheel, like it's part of who I am. Yeah. Well, how many, how many conversations with my best friends are going to come up where I'm going to be not talking about Allah and then right. I'm just going to freak everybody out. Like quit talking about Allah and the three, five times a day that you pray. It's just driving me nuts. Eventually they're going to move out of those inner circles. It's so true. Cause even when I was in that working environment, I was friends with 
anybody I worked with, we were friendly because we worked it. I mean, you're working on the same lines, you know, you're, you're friendly, but the ones that I was able to develop a, a stronger friendship with were the ones that understood that this is who I am. This is what I talk about. And I would, I would talk about Jesus. I talk about church and, and all of those things. And, and the other thing I want people to kind of catch on to is that it's also that friendship is also the gateway for evangelism in that I have, I have a small church that I pastor a church plant for people that are listening. Maybe that don't know that almost half my church is people from that job because we develop and they didn't come here because I was so compelling about the message of Jesus. They came because we were friends and they honestly, some of them were doing me a favor. They were just like, I'll come, I'll come to your church sometime. And they showed up and they heard about Jesus and, and they've continued to come and be a part of what God's doing here. But it's, it started with a friendship. Yeah, precisely. I, I have, I have two friends who happen to be rabbis here in Las Vegas. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, that means they're, they're the Jewish equivalent of a pastor to mm-hmm. their synagogue. A pastor is to, to their church. They're not believers in Jesus Christ, um, though they believe in the God of the Bible, um, of the Old Testament specifically. And uh, we became friends um, on a trip to Israel together uh, that uh, was, was hosted by a group called Christians United for Israel. Great organization, great trip, had a great time, and actually became true friends throughout this. Um, are these people in my circles of friendship, are these people my best friends, my close friends? Uh, I don't know that they would even describe it that way. Right. Would I describe it as they're in my, my tribe of community leaders here in Las Vegas? Yes. Right. Are they even in my group of friends? Like, um, would I be there at their child's bat mitzvah? Yes, I have been. Would they yeah. come to my church services on Easter so that they can support their friend and what he does? Yes, and they have. Um, do we get together with our families over dinner and go to restaurants? Yes, we do. I love them and they love me in my group of friends. But something's there, right? Yeah. And that it that religious divide for them, religion, my relationship with Jesus, there's a there is something that they 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 know it. I mean, every time we're out, I want to pray and thank Jesus for the food. And you know, yeah. they want to talk about uh, making sure the waitress gets it kosher, you know what I mean? And so they're, they're, we're friends, but we're not so close because there, sure. there is a bit of a religious divide there. And, and that's okay. That's okay. And my goal in life is to tell them more about Jesus and their goal in life. Maybe part of it is to help me understand to keep the laws of the Old Testament more. And so we understand that. But I think that understanding where they fit allows me to say, yes, they're my friend. Sure. But it also allows me to know who I share some of my, my deepest thoughts and concerns and dreams and goals and fears in life and all that. So as I try to kind of land this plane a little bit with you, um, same subject, but in kind of a different vein. I think one of the things that teenagers struggle with the most is friends. So if, if, if you're talking to a teenager or parents of a teenager, is there anything unique or special that you would tag on to some of the things you've already said that might help parents, or it's probably going to be mostly parents that are listening to, to something like this. I'm not cool enough yes. for teenagers to want to listen. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I have three teenagers myself, um, mm-hmm. 13, 16, and 18. And uh, personality plays quite a bit into this. That's why I went to the extrovert introvert analogy earlier. If you have an introvert, I think the it's difficult um, to watch them go through no friends. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, they go through no friends whenever they've had a change in their life. Um, they've had to move schools. They had to move locations. They had to, uh, my son just went to college and he is, he is much more of an introvert than his daddy is. Um, and so 
counseling him for him, the counsel is, Hey, you need to go to stuff. I get it. It is way easier to watch church online. It really is. Mm -hmm. I get it. It's so much more comfortable to, um, to not go to that big outing where all those crazy loud people are jumping around and singing music and, and going to the concert. And I get it. I understand, um, son, that it's way easier to, you know, just not get involved in that new collegiate program, but you really should. And the reason is, is because you might find that guy and you might meet that girl and that's awesome. You need to go. So for my introvert teenager, I have to push them just to get in the community. Now, when they get in the community, they're going to naturally more connect with a few people and they're going to go deeper quicker, which right. is awesome. Um, for my extroverts, I have to talk with them about actually maintaining their deep friendships. Here's why with an extrovert, they're very easy to cut off. Even as a teenager, you watch this develop and I've seen it throughout life. They're very easy to drop a friendship and to, I just, I can have another. The moment it starts to go deep, the moment they're confronted the moment a friend feels close enough to actually challenge them on something, an extrovert will want to cut off that relationship. Yeah. And I've watched this with my own teenagers. I've watched it in my own life. I watched it in my friend's life. And they're, they'll cut you off. Why? Because I can have 100 friends, but they're not really close to any of them. And so to challenge them, I had to do this with one of our teenagers re recently who's extrovert. What happened with her? Aren't you very close? What did she do? Let's talk about rebuilding that relationship. No, that person is far too important for you to cut off. We do not cut people off. That is your friend. We do, the Bible says um, your friends and your father's friends don't forsake. Loyalty is important. And extroverts are not typically loyal people. Hmm. And so they need to be taught to be loyal and encouraged to be loyal. So that's what I would say for teenagers. A lot of it has to do with personality. They have a proclivity and a desire to have friends, but their personality sometimes can sabotage them. Josh, you're a you're a pastor, and you're a, a a pastor to a lot of pastors through the Idea Network. Um, your book, though, is it written to pastors or is it written to the average Joe? Is it going to help? Is it going to help the person in the pew? Yeah, absolutely. We I, I wrote the book primarily to our church. Mm -hmm. um, as a pastor, I've got a heart specifically um, to men. My big concern in writing this book for the ladies who are reading it was that it became, it was too masculine. Number one, because I'm extremely masculine as a man, I'm a very masculine dude. I'm going to just say that as clearly yeah. as I can. Yeah. I'm a man's man. Okay. Man's man. Okay. But in reality, um, the book I was concerned about because I was really writing it to men. Yeah. I was saying men, you need to develop these relationships. And so I had my wife go through the book and a couple other ladies and help me with um, several aspects to make sure that it not only spoke to the average man, but the everyday woman. Yeah. And that the everyday man and the everyday woman could grab a hold of this book and could truly develop. So yes, it's not written to the pastor. It's written primarily to men and women in the pew. Though as a pastor, obviously that's going to come out because that's the world I, that's the, the world I live in and the life that I lead. And we really wrote a lot of it to the teenager as well, that the teenager can begin to develop and understand. So my teenagers read the book and, and um, I paid them to tell me it was good. And, and uh, <laughs> it worked out that way. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I've got a, I've got a 13 year old and we've been having a lot of conversations lately about friendship. So I guess maybe it's time to get her a copy and make sure she reads, reads through that. Hey man, I appreciate your time. Hey man, love being on it. Thanks, Matt.